Welcome to a new episode of Rotation Rotation Presents, the Retro Rankings Podcast, where I try to drink to forget. And if you join me as well in drinking, hopefully you drink to forget as well. But anyway, um, I thought I would just start off by giving you guys um, kind of an idea of what's going to be going on with this episode today. Um, there's not a whole lot to cover. Um, I did about four days of E3 coverage. Uh, so there's really nothing to discuss as far as new game releases go because I talked about it for four straight days um, a few weeks back. But what I wanted to do today was something a little different. And I think I'm going to do this every so often, just for you people that aren't familiar with me, your host, Paul. Um, you know, if you're new to the podcast today or joined the podcast uh, within the first three episodes, in other words, if you're not familiar with Potation Rotation on YouTube, again, that's three channels on YouTube, by the way. Um, if you don't know me very well, I thought I would do some episodes where I kind of just talk about my history, if you will, of gaming, but in a ranking format. That's what this podcast is about. It's literally ranking stuff. You don't say. Um, now I say stuff because it's not all going to be video games. I've got some plans for some episodes that are going to involve movies, uh, you know, maybe some comic book storylines, stuff like that, but it's mostly going to be video games. And this is going to be video game related, by the way. Um, but let me tell you something else. My drink today. That's what potation rotation is. Try to drink uh, anytime I do a podcast or a YouTube video. Sometimes I don't drink on every YouTube video. Um, it depends upon when I film. I don't like to drink on work nights. Um, however, as I record this, it's a work night, and I'm going to see how this goes. Because the point of the potation rotation is not only is it way for me to be like, hey, let's just sit back and chill and relax and just have some fun, watch some content, and maybe drink along with us, but to maybe introduce some things, some beverages, if you will, some adult potations that maybe you've never tried before. So that being said, I'm doing something that I, I think would probably work well with the podcast. I figured that this might be a good idea for the podcast. Since I take sips of my beverages uh, in between the different numbers that I present for whatever the topic may be, I thought, why not introduce a shot? I just take a shot of something in between. So I grabbed my bottle of my Oh, so very good and oh, so very smooth. Breckenridge Distillery Single Barrel Bourbon Whiskey. Distilled at 
9,600 feet in Breckenridge, Colorado. I've had my fair share of whiskeys. I mean, <laughs> over the last, what, 22 years? <laughs> um, hands down, and I'm not saying this because I'm, if, and again, this is something that you'll learn over time if you're new here. I am a fanatic of Colorado. I, I'm in Milwaukee or outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, born and raised. And, um, but I may be here physically, but my soul is high atop the Rocky Mountains. Um, I escape there at least, at least once a year, if not twice. And I actually, this year landed a, a job. Uh, ironically, I didn't know until my first interview, our corporate headquarters is in Fort Collins. So I have opportunities to travel out there even more, which is fantastic. But Breckenridge Brewery, um, they make some good shit. I, I, I'm not going to lie. If I, <laughs> you know, if this gets any bigger, I'm definitely going to, uh, reach out and be like, Hey, um, you know, I'm dropping all your shit on my podcast. Can you, uh, send me a case or something? <laughs> uh, but hands down, the best whiskey comes out of this distillery. I even, I think I've got a bottle of something else, uh, downstairs here. That just does not compare. Uh, they got some good vodkas. Uh, they got some good flavored vodkas. Um, but, uh, hands down, the whiskey is just, absolutely phenomenal. I, I don't know. I'd like to see exactly the process, um, how they do it. I don't know if elevation really does truly play uh, a part in it. I'm sure maybe they use distilled Rocky mountain water runoff as well. Um, but my God, so Breckenridge single barrel bourbon whiskey. I don't know that I've ever seen what the proof is on this. Oh, well, it's 46% alcohol by volume, 750 milliliters. I think this bottle sent me back about, I don't know, 130 bucks or something. So actually, as this podcast airs, I would have just returned from Colorado, probably with some more alcohol in tow. But anyway, so that's what I'm drinking today. And I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a shot right now. Let's go ahead and just, and I just unironically out of all the shot glasses I've got, which I've got like 18 or something. Um, I just grabbed a random one off the shelf and it happens to be a Colorado shot glass. And I've only got two out of 18. Oh man. Shit. That shit is smooth. Oh man, alive. It's going to be a good, good episode, folks. Okay, let me put the cork back in. So today, like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. Um, learn a little bit more about me. Um, and today's episode is, and we're going to get right into it here, the top seven, not the top seven, but my top seven personal gaming memories. Bringing The Legend of Zelda 
a link to the past instruction booklet to health class freshman year of high school in November This episode isn't scripted at all. Um, I'm kind of just throwing this one at the wall. Um, let me tell you why this this is is it's an odd one. And actually, if I was going to get deeper down into a, a more expanded list, they'd be probably more weird. But here's the thing: um, I didn't initially. Like, it's not like I had the game, like, over a weekend, right? And then decided on Monday to bring the booklet in. Um, it probably took a couple weeks, but it was kind of twofold. And this is me being brutally honest with everybody. I kind of did it to show off. What are you doing, you moron? There, I had the Super Nintendo, obviously, for, for, I had it for a while. Like, that wasn't new. I realized, though, having been going to school now, um, freshman year, for like three, four months, that, um, and I was still relatively new to the school system. I had only been there a year. So this is my second year in that school system. And, of course, being in high school, you kind of bring in some other schools, some other kids get bussed in and stuff like that. But I only had like three really good friends. One uh, is TJ, who appears on the YouTube channels and who will be on this podcast uh, eventually at some point. You know, uh, some of the people that I would talk to in passing weren't really my friends, but just you know, like the, the kind of friends that you just like, you're okay with talking to some people at school. Um, but you don't talk to them outside of school. Like I remember this one kid named Andy, uh, Alan, Andy, Alan, like I would talk to these kids, these people, my peers. And the ones that I would talk to, like never had a super Nintendo. So I kind of felt like you know, and my friends didn't have a Super Nintendo. My close friends didn't have a Super Nintendo. TJ had a Nintendo. I think that's the only system he ever had. And I don't remember what my other friends had, to be honest with you. I'm sure they had Nintendos as well. Everybody had a fucking Nintendo. But I had the Super Nintendo. Nobody else that I knew at the time had a Super Nintendo. And so it was kind of like a, a status thing. I mean, I kind of already was in a school in an area that was already considered a wealthy part of southeastern Wisconsin. So you'd think that parents would just be, you know, shelling out money for whatever their kids want. And maybe there's, there was, I mean, sure, there was other kids there at the school. I mean, you know, in four grades at the high school, there's got to be more than just me that has a Super Nintendo. But what I'm trying to say is the people that were 
closest to me in my grade or specifically in my health class, nobody had a Super Nintendo. So I kind of did it to to show off um, because I didn't know if anybody believed me or not. You know, so there was that as well. I brought in the instruction book and my health class was also my homeroom. So and we had homeroom before first period or first hour. So I basically was there for like, what was it, like 20 minutes and then class would start. Different homeroom. I think they were called homeroom officers or something. I, mean, I can't remember, but I had one homeroom officer, teacher or whatever for 20 minutes and then they would leave and then my health teacher would come in. So and during homeroom, you just don't do shit. Like it was basically just attendance and like you sit there and, you know, I don't remember much more of that. But that's particular day. And what homeroom wasn't like every day. In fact, I don't know. I think it was only like maybe on a Monday, maybe the beginning of a week. I can't, can't for the life of me remember the exact details. But, you know, I brought it and I brought the booklet out and I started to page through it, even though I paged through it at home. I read it. I had the game for a couple of weeks uh, up to this point. And what I did kind of worked. It attracted some attention. Not only did I get some like, oh, you got a Super Nintendo, but I also got a, oh, you bought, you know, a link to the past. Is it any good? You know, it, and it struck up conversations. And uh, shy, introverted me, uh, believe it or not, uh, despite <laughs> me going out and putting out things for everybody to watch or listen to. I'm not that shy and introverted now. Um, I still consider myself kind of be more of a listener though, when other people are conversing with me. Um, and then I kind of let my gears and my cogs uh, spin in my head and try to process what they're saying. I'm the quiet one in meetings, but that's because I'm trying to be analytical about the things that are flying into my ear holes. But back then shy introverted me you know, I just be like, I just nod my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty fun. You know, like, like I didn't have deep discussions uh, about it. I didn't like dive into things uh, back then. Uh, <laughs> um, but I did it to bring attention uh, to myself and it worked. And then once that attention was brought on to myself, uh, I really didn't care for that attention. And I never again brought anything like that into school. I think that's only the second time I ever brought anything into school. Um, the only other time I brought something into school was like in second or third grade. It had to be third grade. And I brought like a Optimus prime transformer to school, which that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother story for another time. If I ever do a top seven eighties moments or something, <laughs> Maybe I'll talk about that because that's definitely high up there on my list, the Transformer in third grade. Um, but, you know, just when I think back, uh, any kind of video game related memory, that is just something that uh, that I just think about. I still picture myself sitting in that desk where I was uh, in the second row, second from the front on the right side of the class and uh, just getting that, that little instruction manual out of my backpack and just paging through it and 
as everybody else came and walked by me to get, because, you know, pretty much the entire class, uh, you know, 85% of the rest of the class was all sitting behind or next to me. So, um, you know, I, it was just to see who would stop and say something. And a few people did. And that, that's, that is my memory of bringing a link to the past instruction booklet to health class freshman year of high school. Six. Playing games behind the plexiglass at Funko Land. This is how most stores feel about buying your old video games. This is how we feel. Funko Land. More video games than anybody else at half the price. This is how most stores feel about letting you try their video games. This is how we feel. Funko Land. More video games than anybody else at half the price. This is how much most stores charge for video games. This is how much we charge. Funko Land. More video games than anybody else at half the price. So, Funko Land. I don't know how widespread it was, but Funko Land was an American video game retailer based out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So it was a Midwest thing. And this was before GameStop. We did have other stores that, of course, sold video games like Coles Department Store used to. I don't know if they do anymore. And Toys R Us, of course. And then you had Babbage's and you had KB Toys. Those are the ones I can remember buying games from. EB Games, though, however, I believe, I mean, that's what they're known as now, but uh, at the time, any kind of locations that there were, which were slim to none around me, uh, they were known as electronic boutiques. So you had the electronic boutiques and you had the KB Toys. Those were like in the malls. And then you had the department stores like Kohl's and Toys R Us, for example, that were freestanding. Funko Land was kind of a mix of both. They were in strip malls um, and they specialized in not only the new, like everybody else did, but also used video games. And it really is considered the first video game retailer to allow customers to sell and trade used video games. So it was quite something at the time. The brand's parent company, Funko uh, Inc., was established in the home of David R. Pumage in 1988. I'm probably saying that wrong. Never seen that name before in my life. Initially, as a leaser of video games to Minneapolis-St. Paul video rental shops, and then as a mail-order business specializing in used video games. Upon the success of this venture, he moved the business to a Minneapolis warehouse and began oper- operating retail outlets nationwide. In May 2000, Funko was acquired by Barnes & Noble for $161.5 million and merged with Babbage's, which was a subsidiary of Barnes & Noble, and they, in turn, formed GameStop. And that was pretty much the nail in the coffin for Funko Land. But wherever I went, whether it would be all the way on the other side of southeastern Wisconsin to visit friends that I moved away from, or around home, or at my grandparents' house, there was always a Funko Land nearby. So there was three Funko Lands that I would frequent. And it really was a way for me to try a game. And this was like how I remember doing this. I would try a game, sometimes not even before buying it. Um, I would try a game to see if it was even worth renting. That was the majority of my time that I spent at Funko Land, just going in to play video games 
that A, I didn't own, and B, maybe I wanted to own and I wanted to try it, or C, maybe I was thinking about renting it, so I would see about playing it there. If they had a copy I could play, you could ask. You could ask to play any any video game, and they would open up this plexiglass enclosure that the monitor and the system was in, and they just pop the game in for you. Um, when you walked in there, they already had games running, but if you wanted a specific game, you could ask. And because they also sold new games, I mean, they wouldn't pop open a new game for you, but it was a way that you could bring in old games and you could trade up for something new. Of course, you'd have to trade in a few games to get a new game. Eventually, I also then used Funko Land to actually trade up towards new consoles. So, like, I specifically remember getting my Nintendo version 2.0 system, the top loader uh, from Funko Land, by trading in my old Nintendo and a couple games, and then some cash. So, Funko Land, it, it's not as... My story isn't as detailed as the health class in the, in the booklet for uh, A Link to the Past, but, you know, it's just something where it was just part of, part of, like, how I just would find a different way to play video games, you know? I had my, my, my own video games. I had my friends' houses. I had arcades. And if I wanted to be cheap and play video games that I didn't have, I'd just go to Funkoland. I'd walk in and, and play. I just think you're pretty smart and, and smell nice, and and you kind of distract me sometimes. They didn't care if you spent money or not, even though of the three locations, the one closest to my house is the one I did spend money at. And the other two, it was just either going in by myself, like my mom would just drop me off uh, at the one near my grandma's house, my grandparents' house. And I just play there or going uh, on the other side of town and going there with a friend. But it is a fond memory that I do have. Number six, playing games behind the plexiglass at Funkoland. So I took a shot between seven and six, hence the, the break. But I didn't announce. I didn't announce it. I completely forgot. So... I'm announcing it now because it, it's 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 not like you can hear me sip it like a beer. Um, so I'm announcing it now. I'm taking a shot. There we go. I took it. So you're just going to have to believe me. Five. Buying my first import video game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time for the Super Famicom in July 1992. Big classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, uh, which also, in, if you're in Europe, it's called Teenage Mutant, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Uh, that's a whole other story we can get into as to why they didn't use the word ninja in Europe, but it was an arcade video game produced by Konami. Uh, it's the sequel to the original Turtles arcade game. It's a side-scrolling beat-em-up type game based mainly on the 
1980s animated series. Originally an arcade game, Turtles in Time was ported to the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in 1992 under the title Teenage Mutant Turtles 4 Turtles in Time. Continuing the numbering from the early Turtles games released on the NES. That same year, a game that borrowed many elements, the Hyperstone Heist, was released on the Mega Drive and Genesis, which that's also a pretty good game, by the way. So, why is this exactly number five for me? If you listen to the last episode, when I was discussing Zelda titles with Keith, my brother and host of the Main Quest podcast, there was a question that he asked me about why I was hyped for a certain Zelda game and which you can go back and take a listen to that two two and a half hour behemoth of an episode. And I talked about a retailer that opened up uh, in our neck of the woods and how the owner of the store seemed to know everything before it happened. And you got to keep in mind, this was the early nineties. The internet was not for everybody at the time. You usually went online to play some crappy game on dial up. And like, that was it if you're lucky. And that's, you know, by see lucky, I mean, like if you were in a house that could afford a, a modem, the internet being in its infancy, there wasn't exactly, you didn't know the swath of knowledge you might be able to find back then. Um, in fact, the joke was, that you could probably, at that time, if you dug deep enough, get to the end of the internet eventually at some point. <laughs> I don't know if anybody ever did. I doubt it. <laughs> but but this guy knew stuff. And to this day, I'm not exactly sure how he knew stuff. And I wish I could talk to this guy. Uh, I wish I could interview him. I wish I'd could find him. I suppose if I really wanted to, I could find out who owns the strip mall his shop was operated in and uh, maybe get some past tenant information. I don't know. The store didn't last very long. It was there for a few years. It was in an area that took a bit of getting to, and I wasn't driving yet at that time. So I'd have to be, I'd have to ask for a ride or if my parents were going shopping in that area, I just, you know, can I get dropped off here or something like that? It's too far to, for a bike ride, though. I'd get dropped off. You know, maybe my mom or my dad were doing something else or something um, because cell phone wasn't really a thing either. So I couldn't really get dropped off and then say, oh, I'll call you when I'm ready for you know a ride back. Um, that didn't happen. There was pay phones, but <laughs> I could tell you my stories of always calling collect from a payphone because I never had any quarters on me, you know, and I'd go into the store and it was, it was kind of cool because it was like Funko land, but with a more down to earth personal touch. It wasn't, it wasn't cookie cutter. It was the first video game store that wasn't a chain. And I thought that was kind of cool. And I could kill two birds with one stone and go next door to the bookstore and sit on the floor and read a bunch of video game magazines. I think, I don't know what was around. I, I, 
EGM, I'm sure was Electronic Game Monthly. I'm sure was was out back then. Game Informer, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know, but I know that there was more than one. Um, Nintendo Power was another one of them um, because I was too cheap sometimes to actually get magazines, so I just sit on the floor and read them. So I was killing two birds with one stone. But this guy that ran the shop knew things that nobody else knew. And being that guy, you know, now you're talking just eight months after me bringing in the booklet for A Link to the Past. Um, he told me that there was a game coming out in Japan for the Super Famicom that was a port of the Turtles in Time arcade game. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? Well, I'm sure I didn't say fucking. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what, 13 or something? I don't know, 14. But the arcade game had been out probably a good year, I think. So I knew about it. And I'm like, man, it's finally going to be out for a video game system. But why not the Super Nintendo, you know? And he goes, oh, it'll be out for the Super Nintendo too. But J Japan's getting it first. I'm like, well, can I, like, is there any way I could play it? on my super Nintendo. I had no idea that the Famicom cartridges were different, um, that they weren't compatible with the SNES. So he said that he was going to get, he was going to get some copies in. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like now I'm going to have to, you know, if I want to play it, I'm going to have to buy a, a super Famicom or something. And, and I don't know, I don't remember if he had those or whatever, but he told me, he goes, no, I sell, these like you know converters the converter that plays the famicom the adapters if you will plays the famicom games on the super nintendo and so he said that if i bought a copy of turtles in time for the famicom then he'd sell me the converter aka the adapter uh at a discount i'm like okay good because that's probably that <laughs> might be the only time i use it i don't know you know, I, I wasn't getting too excited about anything uh, very easily at this point, except that I wanted to play this Turtles game before anybody else, <laughs> you know, but I want to, like I said, that was in like July. And so I bought it and I bought the adapter and brought it home and I was enjoying some Japanese Turtles in Time on my Super Nintendo, only to find out... <clears throat> that at some point between then and its actual release here, I think it was probably in a magazine that it was being released here. And I could have just waited a month. Was I like upset? Eh, maybe a little bit because you think about it, I had to buy an imported game, which was marked up at a premium. And I had to buy the adapter, which was just extra cost, even though he knocked it down a little bit. Um, I don't know how much more in total I paid, for the Famicom, Super Famicom version of Turtles in Time and the adapter. But I guess in a way, and it's the reason why it, uh, you know, is number five on my list, uh, because it is a memory after all, and it's kind of a cool one. I did get to play. I could probably be the only one uh, in my school if I would have, which I didn't. I didn't bring it to school or anything. My friends were the only ones that knew about it. And maybe Keith, if he remembers, but I don't, I don't know if he does or not, that owned 
turtles in time before anybody else did. So that's why that is one of my more fondest of personal gaming memories. So before we get into number four, I'm going to, and you know, I decided since I cork it after I drink it, I'm going, that's a good way for you to know that I am drinking it. I'm going to uncork it because it does make a noise. I was hiding the noise before, but here we go. And I could do this. There we go. That way, you know, but you can't hear it pour because I can't go crazy. Here we go. Bottoms up. After the first one, after that first shot, it goes down um, and you get used to it. So you don't react to how smooth it is. But my God, the, the, the notes in this is just, if you ever get a chance to get any whiskey from Breckenridge, it doesn't have to be the single barrel. The single barrel is kind of, kind of rare. I think you might have to actually, if you can special order it or get it there. I don't think you can, at least here in Wisconsin, it's a little bit harder to get shit. Uh, I know we can't buy the single barrel here, like at a total wine and more, for example, um, and distribution of alcohol is pretty tight in the state. So, but any 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 Breckenridge uh, distillery whiskey will will do. Trust me. Trust me. Or- Competing in the Nintendo World Championships in Milwaukee, summer 1990. Live from Universal Studios Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host Terry Lee Torak. Woo! Yeah! You ready? Woo! Thank you! I don't get this at home. Welcome to Universal Studios Hollywood. This is the playing field of the future. The unprecedented 1990 Nintendo World Championships. For us, it was the year that began back March 7, 1990. That was the day when 11 semi-truck trailers unleashed. The Nintendo Power Fest upon Dallas, Texas. An incredible moment at that. Traveling coast to coast across the country. From Seattle to Miami, New York to Los Angeles. Searching for the best in the business. The top guns of Nintendo. The players you are about to meet today, ladies and gentlemen, are truly the best in the business. They have outsmarted, outscored, and outmaneuvered hundreds of thousands of the top competitors in their field. Well, today I've had the honor to hand all 90 winners their trophy. And today, you're going to see all 90 city champions battling the best with the magic of the mind in 6 minutes, 21 seconds of intense action. And when that smoke clears, three world champions will stand tall as the best in the world. The same type of championships that were in the movie The Wizard. Uh, In the movie The Wizard, though, it seemed as if, though, all the qualifiers and then the final championship round were all held in the same day. Whereas, um, I mean, you can just pretty much do a, a simple lookup online, if you will. But uh, in 1990, and I think it was just over the summer, it lasted over the summer, Nintendo had the Nintendo World Championships, which is where that super rare Nintendo World Championships NES cartridge uh, comes from. Uh, so it was in Milwaukee that summer. What month and day, I don't know. 
Um, I wish I still held on to something from, from then, but I remember my dad taking me. I asked for him. It was at the convention center downtown. I asked for him to take me. I think it was a convention center. It could have been the Mecca or something as well. I'm, I'm not, you know, foggy me. I was like 12, I think, uh, about to turn 13. Um, but I asked him to take me and I got registered for the, uh, there was different age groups and I got registered for the 12 to 17. Uh, but a little bit of, of history. Um, it was, of course, Nintendo promoted competition accompanying NES game cartridge that toured 29 cities across the United States. The competition was based on scoring points in the custom cartridges, three Nintendo Entertainment System games, Super Mario Brothers, Rad Racer, and Tetris, and you had a time limit of within six minutes and 21 seconds. The competition was, like I said, loosely based on the movie The Wizard, and through the use of emulation and online leaderboards, Nintendo features the reminiscent Nintendo World Championship Remix in 2014's NES Remix 2 for the Wii U, which I'm sure nobody knows about because nobody owned a Wii U. The structure, like I said, there were separate age groups. Um, I was in the 12 to 17. So I'm assuming there was 11 and under, right? And there was 18 and over. And each city had their competition being held over a weekend. So it would run from like a Friday through a Sunday. Over those three days, the players qualified for the semifinals over two rounds. And the first round, a player had to score at least 175,000 points. So, and then to qualify the semifinals held on a Sunday night, contestants had to play on a seven player stage and score at least 200,000 points. And then on Sunday night, the finalists, the semifinalists were divided by age group. And then each of those semifinalist groups played in the pods. That's what they were called. Like you played in a pod and at most 100 could play at a time. And the top seven scores from those each age groups then played in a final round on stage. And they would actually do like, they were like moderated, if you will, or announced by like announcers to the crowd. And out of the seven scores, the top two players played then head to head. And then that person, that one was the city champion. Um, and then they would win. Uh, I think they won a trophy, some cash or something. And then of course a trip to the, the finals, which were at universal studios, like in the wizard, uh, and a runner up, I think one, like maybe a Nintendo or something. I don't remember. Maybe not a Nintendo because that would almost be like worth 200, 200, at least 200 bucks back then. I don't know. Maybe something lesser, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, the cartridge. Let's talk a little about, about that cartridge. Um, so it was designed specifically for the contest. And a player had six minutes, like I said, six minutes and 21 seconds to play. And it was divided up into th the, the three games. Um, the final game was Tetris. And so you would basically get Mario and Red Racer for a certain amount of time. And then Tetris was pretty much... As soon as you accumulate a certain amount of points in Mario Brothers and Red Racer, then you would move on to Tetris and you could play Tetris until the time expired. So basically, as f the formula was you had Super Mario Brothers, the score, plus a Red Racer score times 10. And then you would use your, your Tetris score to try to uh, 
get over whatever score that you needed to make the next round because that was multiplied times 25. So it was a little bit different <laughs> than what you saw in the wizard. Um, there were two methods to obtaining 50 coins in Super Mario Brothers. The first method involved going down the first pipe, collecting 20 coins, finishing the board, getting the remainder of the coins in World 1-2. And then the second method the player had, uh, you could die twice in World 1-1, which provided... Uh, it, it, it was it was a little bit faster. Um, and and everybody knows should know the name Thor Ackland. Uh He ended up kind of becoming something out of this championship. Uh, he used the method uh, during the tour to get the world record score of 4 million points. So Thor Ackland, name drop in here. But the highest score with the first method uh, was like 2,800,000. Uh, by, I have no idea who. But anyway, um, I, I can go into a deep dive. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Yes, it was freaking awesome. No, I didn't make it to Sunday. <laughs> I did not make it to Sunday at all. Uh, I was out uh, by Saturday. Um, but uh, by the way, um, the 12 to 17 winner uh, was somebody named uh, Tim Drews uh, here in Milwaukee. And um, yeah, so uh, there was no official competition round to crown a, to crown a single winner. Uh, however, uh, after the competition ended, there was an informal face-off between three winners with, Thor taking first place, of course. Uh, oh, and then a Jeff Hansen took second and Robert Whiteman finished third. Thor went on to become the official game spokesperson for Comerica, a direct competitor of Nintendo, immediately winning after the Nintendo, after winning the Nintendo championship. So there's that. Quattro Sports giving you four great games on one cartridge. Quattro Baseball is incredible. Fastballs, slow balls, curveballs, and more. America games, easy to pick up, hard to put down. Micro Machines for Nintendo is one of the best and most innovative racing games ever. America games, easy to pick up, hard to put down. Thor has has been uh, a kind of a deep retro name uh, in the video game world uh, since then. Um. But everybody knows about the cartridge itself. There's a great cartridge. There's a gold cartridge. That's the rarest one uh, that got given away uh, in a Nintendo Power competition. It's you know, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. That's for sure. I'm kind of I'm glad that I did it. Uh, it was kind of cool, and um, I I can't I, I'd have to say that the game that fucked me over was Rad Racer. Um, I didn't play, ironically, even though there's a license to drink rotation rotation youtube channel uh i didn't play a lot of racing games so <laughs> when rad racer showed up on the screen i'm like fuck me it, it didn't go well i didn't have a lot of time to play tetris which is where you really rack up the points yeah i definitely definitely did not make it past saturday thanks to my lack of knowledge with rad racer but that was my number four. I competed in the Nintendo World Championships in Milwaukee during the summer of 1990. I need to let a belch out. <clears throat> and I need to pop the cork, right? So you guys... Yes? And I'm going to... I wish there was a way you could hear me pour this. Maybe you can. I mean, I can't hear it, but I'm pouring it right in front of the microphone. Here we go. <sighs> <sighs> 
Oh, so smooth. So smooth. I only got two more to go after this. All right. So, where are we headed to now? Oh, yeah. Finding Dragon's Lair in the arcade. Dragon's Lair, the fantasy adventure where you become a valiant knight on a quest to rescue the fair princess from the clutches of an evil dragon. You control the actions of a daring adventurer finding his way through the castle of a dark wizard who has enchanted it with treacherous monsters and obstacles. In the mysterious caverns below the castle, her odyssey continues against the awesome forces that oppose your efforts to reach the dragon's lair. Lead on, adventurer. Your quest awaits. I mean, talk about dating myself. <laughs> I was like six when Dragon's Lair came out, and it was like the coolest fucking thing that I'd ever seen. I don't remember where I was. You gotta, you gotta think about this. Back then, um, you had arcades like, or machines at least, like everywhere like it was almost like you were in the wizard back then everywhere you went there was a fucking arcade machine you went to a pizza hut there's a fucking cocktail machine you went to any italian restaurant for some reason i don't know why it was italian restaurants but i remember going to like i think there was like a Papinos in town uh a marty's marty's pizza which actually is still around uh, you'd have your your tabletop or your arcade sorry your um <laughs> Jesus Christ, the whiskey's kicking in. <laughs> You'd have your cocktail uh, cabinets, usually uh, like a Pac-Man or a Galaga or something like that. And bowling alleys, bowling alleys. Even to this day, they still have arcades. Some of them might actually be better than they used to be or bigger. I don't know. I haven't been bowling in like a decade, but uh, bowling alleys, arcade machines. Uh, you had actual arcades and there was a lot. There was some in malls. There were some that were freestanding. There were some in strip malls. Um, I mean, there was even one uh, in a, if you want to call it a suburb called Menominee Falls out here, there was an arcade that was in the same building as a bowling alley that also had arcade machines. So, <laughs> and that was one that I frequented actually a lot. Um, so it could have been there, but also visiting, oh, movie theaters also had arcade machines. Uh, oh, mini miniature golf, miniature golf. There was a lot of miniature golf places uh, around two that I know of that are both gone that had arcade machines. Go to Six Flags, arcade machines. Like they were all over the place. Like no matter where you went, there was fucking arcade machines. And I had no problems getting to play an arcade machine. So wherever it was, and it most likely was in Menominee Falls, either at the bowling alley or the or at the arcade, there was Dragon's Lair. And at the time, it was near impossible to get at because there was always people playing it. There was always a crowd of people around those people playing it. It's like, what the fuck? They're playing a cartoon. <sighs> it was so cool. If you don't know anything about Dragon's Lair, which you damn well should because it is part of video game pop culture history. It was a franchise created by Rick Dyer and Don Bluth. The series is famous for its Western animation style graphics and convoluted decades long history of being ported 
to many platforms very poorly for the most part, may I say, and also being uh, remade into television and comic book uh, series as well. The first game in the series, Dragon's Lair, originally released in arcades in 1983 by Cinematronics. It uses laser disc technology, offering greatly superior graphics compared to other video games at the time. The game was ported to several other platforms, but since no home system technology of that era could accommodate the graphical quality of LaserDisc, several abridged versions of the original game were released under different names. The first true sequel, Time Warp, would only appear a whole eight years later in 1991. While its graphics were once again praised, poor controls and limited interactivity kept it from reaching the cult popularity status of the original and Don Bluth um, who uh, if you don't know anything about Don Bluth that's a whole nother thing deep dive some great animated films by Don Bluth were also part of my childhood uh, which helped make Dragon's Lair super cool for me and a machine that I wish I owned I own of course if you come here from the YouTube channels um i did buy a miniature version of it and reviewed it uh and so i can hook that up to my tv which it is hooked up to my tv and i can play uh it's emulated but it's actually a pretty good emulated uh version of it um so anyway uh dragon's lair once i eventually got well (laughs) Once I saw the sticker shock of having to, you know, how many quarters it took to play it, which I th- I'm pretty sure at the time, I think it was like a dollar. Um, I could be wrong. It could have been 50 cents, but I know it wasn't a single quarter. I know it wasn't a single quarter. Uh, <laughs> and it was a quarter sucker uh, because, uh, you know, I wasn't the type of person and I still am not. I never have been, despite me bringing an instruction booklet of Link to the Past and reading it in health class. Um, I never really been one to read instructions on games. I just go in and I try to learn myself how to play, which when you're playing an arcade game probably isn't the wisest thing to do because you're going to lose quarters faster. Uh, however, yeah, I just went in heads. I mean, I was anxious and it was, as stressful as it was dying like all the time and basically like, okay, there goes my five bucks in like, you know, a minute <laughs> I'm done. Now I have to leave cause I have no money left. Um, it was just, it was so awesome. It was so awesome. And every time some kind of port came out for this and I use port loosely, like the NES, the SNES, even the Sega CD version, the, nothing. It was just some bastardized, stupid version, poorly done that I didn't give a shit about. The GameCube's got a pretty cool uh, Dragon's Lair game. That's like the only one that's actually like maybe like my third favorite Dragon's Lair after Time Warp. Um, I do like Time Warp. Um but the one for the GameCube, like I own it because it's Dragon's Lair 3D, by the way. Uh, it is, it's kind of cool. It's just a different take on it. Um, and it's actually, personally, I find it executed pretty, pretty well. Uh, but Dragon's Lair, it's just, 
you had to be there. Dragon's Lair, I appreciate it as much as I do, even though I was like six when it came out, because of the fact that it was in arcades for so long that I was able to take a crack at it anytime I wanted to. Um, and it never wore off on me. I never beat it until I could find a good port to play at home because no, it just wasn't going to happen at the arcade. I just didn't have that much money. I was a fucking kid and I wasn't that good, you know, to pop a dollar in it and go through it in one shot. So, but Lord almighty, as far as the arcade goes, uh, that is like my fondest arcade memory, like of all time is walking in and seeing the dragon's lair and being like, what the fuck is this? This is like the Holy grail of video gaming, being able to play a cartoon. So cool. And that's why it's number three on my personal gaming memories list. All right. So I already lost the bottle <laughs> and I'm already getting pretty warm in my studio here. Uh, as you may or may not know, uh, this studio for the podcast is in a different studio than where I record for YouTube. Uh, if you want to call it a studio, it's actually in a tight little corner in my bedroom with no ventilation so that I can keep the noise down and the whiskey, which is dry is certainly not helping. So I'm getting a little warm, but here we go. Bottoms up. We're getting near the end. Two. Yeah. It's more Zelda. Sick little fucking freak. Do you know that? Do you know how empty you are inside? You've shown your true colors to everyone now, bitch. It is over for you. Zelda is just, if you don't know by now, it's huge in my life. And at number two, completing the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time at 100%. And I'm not going to get into any details about Ocarina of Time. You can listen to the last episode, top seven Zelda console titles, mainline series only, mainline series only, to get information on Ocarina of Time. Okay. I'm not going to talk about it more. I'm just going to talk about to the point, get to the point here. The reason why it's number two is because it was, at the time I completed it, 100% which was actually my second playthrough. It set me up to try to play most games that I play at 100% completion. Not only because did I figure out that it was a way to prolong a game I really enjoy, but I also got my money's worth. So even though I consider myself a completionist, there's an asterisk next to that. In that I have to really in fucking enjoy the game. Usually, those type of games are things like Super Mario Brothers, Zelda, Metroid. I strived for that originally with like Resident Evil, but eventually I got tired of Resident Evil. So now that I'm back into playing Resident Evil, uh, it's just to complete the games, but not at a completionist level of 100%. 
I have to really be sucked into a series. And actually, most recently, I completed uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which is the best action platform shooter title that I've played in years. It is phenomenal. It sends shivers up my spine just thinking about it. A lot of people are arguing because it is relatively short compared to most games. Is it worth the $7 price tag? Fuck yes. That game is lit. Uh, It is everything I've ever wanted in a game like that. And it just happens to look absolutely gorgeous to boot. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I haven't played a Ratchet and Clank title since the original. Like, what was that? Like 20 years ago or something? And I was like, eh, it's a Sonic ripoff. Eh, it's a Mario ripoff. Like, eh, it's a Banjo-Kazooie ripoff. I, you know, I, I just didn't, I wasn't too far into it. However, even reading about it post-game and getting some more details about the series as a whole, I'm finding out that it is potentially the best game in the series thus far. And aside from the remake that came out uh, a few years ago, I might be interested in going back to the PlayStation 2 and playing some older Ratchet and Clank because I am just that game, kind of like what a Legend of Zelda Link to the Past did for me for Legend of Zelda. The the first Ratchet and Clank, I, like I said, I was like, eh. And I was kind of like that with the first two Zelda games. I was like, eh. A Link to the Past made me realize I fucking love Zelda, and I think I might love Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> um, it's it to me, it's it's damn near perfect, but not quite perfect enough because A Link to the Past is still to me a perfect game. Like I, I don't know what it's going to take to beat A Link to the Past. I just don't. I think uh, I think nostalgia's locked onto that one. Honestly, to be honest with you, I don't think that that's going to be unlocked uh, from it. Uh, I don't know, but I probably I probably enjoyed Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart a lot more than Mario Odyssey, to be honest with you. I think Odyssey was great. I think it was the best Mario title since Mario 64. It was beautiful. It was fun. I think it was a grind uh, as a completionist, yes, I did 100% Rift Apart. However, I and I will Game Plus Insomniac. Their Game Plus modes. Their Game Plus mode in in here is a uh, challenge or challenger mode. Uh, so I'm taking I, I've taken a bit of a break from the game because I need to play other stuff. But I'm going to go back in. I'm going to finish that. I'm going to get the weapon upgrades. I'm going to upgrade them 100% level 10 to super complete. <laughs> the game, if you will. Let's just call it 200%ing the game. Because um, it's just fucking, it's so fucking great. And I think that kind of stuff that I do, uh, games that I choose to complete 100% to Ocarina of Time. Um, there's just uh, Donkey Kong Country, that those uh, that series as well. Um, I also 100% those as well. I, I have to just be sucked in like the type of game that you play where it's like, okay, I'm going to play video games now. And then you look at your watch like, Holy shit, three hours went by. feels like I've been here for half an hour. Like those are the type of games. When I have that feeling, those are the type of games that I know that I'm not going to be done with it until I 100% it, but that's not with all games. And I am a video game jumper. 
So there's some games that I won't even complete at all. Uh, and it's because it's like, I'll play enough where I'm like, okay, I'm satisfied. Time to move on to something else. Um, but yeah, so I can't call myself a completionist 100%. It depends upon the series or the title. It might not even be a series. It could be just, like I said, a title. But if I love a game enough and there is a way to 100% it, I will always. Well, for the most part, 100%. There's some Zelda titles, two so far that I haven't. One of them being Skyward Sword because of those fucking motion controls. I missed one heart container in the entire game. Uh, I, I do want to say, let me interject since we're t- talking about Zelda. Let's just go ahead and segue. Skyward Sword. Part of my E3 coverage, day three, I stated that there was um, a GameStop poster at that that week um, that was available if you trade in towards a Nintendo Switch or spend like 30 bucks towards anything Zelda related. So I had said if, even though I wasn't going to get Skyward Sword, that if I could get the poster, because I wanted the poster, if I could get the poster by pre-ordering Skyward Sword and putting like $30 down towards it, will I get the poster? That was the question I posed in the video. Go check it out. The answer was yes. Because I walked into GameStop and I asked and I worked out a deal because she wasn't even sure if a pre-order counted towards Skyward Sword. I'm like, I'm giving you money towards this Zelda product. I'm pretty sure it does. So let's go ahead and just make this happen. And she did. So I got the poster. I got Skyward Sword pre-ordered. And if the button mapping, if I'm going to try it out, if the button mapping works, it doesn't make, I don't, you know, it's still to me overall for that type of a Zelda title, it's still like a weaker one, even if the controls are like good. Uh, I will replay it. I will 100% it and just call it a day. But that whole thing with me stretching out a game as long as I can, enjoying it a little bit more. The games that I really enjoy, 100%ing them, is all thanks to when I completed Ocarina of Time for the first time. And that's why that's at number two. All right, so before we get into number one, which is, for me, a super cool story. And I try to tell everybody about it because it's like me showing off with no proof right now. (laughs) That is the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and drink. One more shot. Oh my God. Thank God. Like I said, as I record this, I have not gone to Colorado, but as this airs, I would have been in Colorado. This whiskey's almost gone. So I'll have a new bottle. <laughs> Am I ready? I should do the shots more often. It's kind of fun. All right. One. Winning a copy of Super Mario Brothers 3. So, Super Mario Brothers 3, I'm not going to get too much into it because it was on my first episode, uh, my top seven NES games. So you can kind of, uh, you know, Go back and listen to that if you want a little bit of a history, though that episode was kind of a mess because I was my first podcast episode. I was still kind of learning how to edit a podcast, uh, but it's still enjoyable. Just maybe don't wear headphones. (laughs) 
But, um, but yeah, so I did not talk about this though when I talked about the game because I was just talking about the game. I wasn't talking about uh, anything in detail uh, around my personal gaming memory from it. Um, I tried my hardest to dig up any kind of details that there were surrounding this promotion, if you will. But I could find nothing. Super Mario Brothers 3 came out in Japan, if you guys know this. And like I said, go back to the first episode. You can look it up. So I'm not going to get into a deep dive here. But it first came out in Japan in like October of 88. And then it came out here like a year and a half later or something. It was like still winter or something of 1990. So it had been a while. And mind you, I was like 12 years old when this game came out. It was the game that everyone had to fucking have. Like when Nintendo Power announced this game, because that's like how you got your Nintendo news, like straight from the source, Nintendo Power. Like when I had that issue, because I had Nintendo Power, like for years I subscribed. I either subscribed or I, I went out and got each issue. But like when that game was in Nintendo Power, it was like, holy fucking shit. What the hell is this? This is a Mario game? Like, it's like the first one, but it looks so fucking good, right? And you would talk about it with your friends. I didn't always get, even though I had a fair amount of games, I was lucky to have a fair amount of games. I worked for my games. I cut lawns to earn money for video games. My parents, though, we didn't have a lot of money. We moved around a lot. We never owned a house and stuff like that. Like, they were good. Like if I, you know, even if maybe I didn't earn it or deserve it, like, you know, I got a Nintendo or they helped me get a Super Nintendo. Like, and eventually as I got older, it was like more or less, I had to kind of, you know, like I said, cut lawns and kind of earn my way. I started babysitting when I was 13 for crying out loud, because I wanted more money to buy video games. (laughs) And I was always that guy that had everything before everybody else did. Or I was that guy that had multiple systems and nobody and somebody, you know, like I would have a, a Nintendo, a Super Nintendo, a Genesis with the 32X and the Sega CD, where I was like, I'd still have a friend with just a Nintendo, you know? Oh, let's add the TurboGrafx-16 to that mix too, you know? Like, like video games have always just been so integral in my life. It's just a form of escapism. And actually, I kind of thank the fact, I think I'd probably be more dumb than I already am, if it wasn't for video games exercising my brain muscle, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm probably not that dumb. I mean, I'm college educated and I have a lot of good street smarts. I'd like to think, but even though I, I, I do have brain farts quite often as I, as I get older, but I didn't always get games right away. Not like anymore where I like sometimes even pre a game. And hopefully maybe it'll come a day or two before it's released and I'll get lucky, which has happened like twice. I don't remember if anybody that I knew had Super Mario Brothers 3 before I did. And I still didn't have it right away. I remember what this promotion was. It was through Nabisco. And if I remember correctly, what do they have? Like Oreos. And I'd have to look it up to see everything that they had back then. Chips Ahoy was Nabisco. It still is maybe. Multiple, multiple cookies and crackers, but I think it was mostly they were running this com- this promotion on on cookies. 
And we always had Oreos or Chips Ahoy, like all the time. Uh, I was a, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to twist one half Oreo off. I'm going to eat the half without the cream and then I'm going to dunk the other half that's got the cream in the milk and let it sit in there for, you know, 30 seconds and then just shove the whole thing in my mouth. That's how I ate an Oreo. Sometimes I combine two halves with the cream into one and then dunk it. Uh, so we almost always had that shit. And then all of a sudden there was a promotion. Now I'm not sure the details on how many packages we may have gone through or whatever, but basically what it was is you had the outside package and on the back of it, there was a picture, if you will, uh, an artist's rendering of a section of a Super Mario Brothers three level. And it had certain points marked on that level. And then inside was a piece of cellophane. I believe every package had this piece of cellophane and the piece of cellophane. If I remember correctly, had Mario across it in different positions. And so then you take the cellophane and you place it against the artwork on the back of the package. And if Mario lined up with like, I think it was the question blocks, maybe that might've been marked on it. If he lined up perfectly, you want to copy Super Mario Bros. 3. I want to say it wasn't just one package and I got lucky. Because I do vaguely remember trying at least one time, maybe twice, of lining up that cellophane and being like, oh, yeah, he doesn't line up. I didn't win. But then one day he did. And I lost my shit. I, you know, Keith's got a pretty good memory of of me and video games and how he's influenced by my gaming. Um, So maybe he might remember this. I don't know. <laughs> if he's listening, um, if he's listening, he can go to YouTube where I upload these as well um, on Potation Rotation on YouTube. He can leave a comment. That's the only way that we're going to know. He can leave a comment there. But I lost my shit and it probably annoyed my parents. It probably especially annoyed my dad. I just, I remember, I won, I won, I won. I, you know, like I'm, I would say like I fucking won, but I'm sure I didn't say that, <laughs> um, but I fucking won, <laughs> you know? And I, and I remember asking for help and getting the envelope ready and the stamp and like you had to cut out the package, a part of the package, the UPC symbol and the cellophane and you had to send it in. And, um, and that was that. And I don't remember how long after the game was released, I remember it was a little bit warmer weather. I want to say I was already going to school in Whitefish Bay. So it might have been might have been quite a while after Super Mario Bros. 3 was released. Probably because I, I remember starting school there, I think, before we even moved out there. Because um, I remember my parents, my mom dropping me off, my dad picking me up. <sighs> and I know that they wouldn't remember this shit. So I don't bother asking. But... I remember my dad picking me up from school because I remember the exact point we were on our travels. And it was in Whitefish Bay, actually approaching Glendale. And I remember leading up to it, my dad said, you know, hey, I got something for you. Something came in the mail for you. And I honestly had forgotten. Like, I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I'm like, you know, I'm like, what, like 13 maybe at that point in eighth grade. And I'm like, 
you know, like I got something in the mail. Like what? Like, is it like a something Boy Scouts related or something? Like, what is it? You know? And I remember him pulling it out of wherever he had it. It wasn't his ass. <laughs> Even though most things he pulled out of his ass. Uh, he pulled it out in the car and I remember exact, the exact intersection we were at when he did it. And I fucking lost it again. It was the game. It was Super Mario Brothers 3. And it's nice yellow box with the big, bold blue lettering and Mario, Raccoon Mario flying on the cover. And I cried. I couldn't believe I had this game. I couldn't believe I had this game. It had been out for a while. Probably a good solid six months. Maybe seven. I couldn't believe that I did it. It was like the first thing I ever won. It was the first thing. No, I won a Dairy Queen frozen cake once, which melted, I think, because we put it in the fridge. So maybe Mario Brothers 2 was like the second thing I won. But you know what? I've won some pretty memorable things. I've won cash. Like I said, I've won trips. I've won concert tickets. The uh, trip to Florida, $1,000 cash, and Mario Brothers 3 are the top three things that I remember ever winning. Winning Mario Brothers 3 through this promotion and remembering exactly where I was. My dad gave me that cartridge, that box and that cartridge, and I opened it up and got the game out of the plastic with the instruction. Like I, the fact that I remember the ex exact intersection where we were, like that's huge. I mean, that's huge. It's a huge problem. It's really New Hampshire has a huge heroin problem. First of all, I'm a huge Second Amendment I'm person. A huge believer in clean air. I'm not a huge believer in the global warming. He said, I just put in a huge order for Komatsu tractors. It's really going to be a big debate, but I'm always ready. It's not just big. It's huge. And... Maybe some of you out there are as old as I am or older and remember that promotion and maybe you got lucky. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. I don't know who you are. But that is my number one personal gaming memory, winning a copy of Super Mario Brothers 3. You know what? I'm just going to take one more to end the episode because I'm a little parched. You know what? This is it. This is the end of the bottle. One more shot. Man, so good. So, usually I do a Porta Rota player's pro tip of the day. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be with these type of episodes. They're, you know, these offshoots, if you will. Ones that are a little bit more game title related. Yes, we're going to skip that for today. Fantastic. This was a huge waste of my time. But I just wanted an opportunity to give everybody an opportunity to get to know me a little bit more and kind of my history of video games and where I stand. I, I think back now and like the 80s and the 90s were super fucking great. And even some of the 2000s. Depends upon what music you listen to. <laughs> but uh, I think back to when I was a kid in the 80s or even the 90s and like that can shift from like the 50s and 60s. That's so fucking old. That's when my parents were kids. So I think back to when I was a kid, I'm like, that wasn't so long ago. I mean, I still remember some of this shit like it was fucking yesterday. And then there's kids that are now 10, maybe even 20, where they look at that shit <laughs> that I look at and they're like, that's fucking old. 
like fucking Super Mario Brothers three. The fuck is that fucking child ass shit? Uh, now anybody that enjoys video games, even if it's a twenty year old, I'm sure they would appreciate Super Mario Brothers three. Um, I I would hope that they do. It's crazy. It's been it's been a crazy almost forty four years at this point. Um, and I've been playing video games for at least 40 of those years, going back to Commodore 64 and television, Atari, hitting up the arcades before I was even in fucking school. Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to give everybody an opportunity to just hear a little bit more about about me and what makes me me and my history of gaming. And there's going to be a little bit more of these different formats of the top seven uh, for my personal gaming memories. But that's going to do it for this episode, the fourth episode of the Retro Rankings Podcast. If you want all the details on Potation Rotation, just go to potationrotation.com. There you'll find all the links to our YouTube channels, which is Potation Rotation, the channel that started it all. Potation Rotation Reviews. And license to drink. Uh, I just want to throw an asterisk in there. License to drink and potation rotation reviews are spinoffs of potation rotation. They take certain types of subject matters. License to drink is the racing channel where we race and drink at the same time. And reviews is literally reviews. It could be food. It could be, you know, shit from a dollar store. It could be video games. It could be merchandise. Uh, that's all reviews and the potation rotation is strictly gaming. All the license to drink and the review stuff used to be on potation rotation. So you can still deep dive into potation rotation going back to the early spring, right when COVID started and find some of those type of things on there as well, which is why it looks like there's not that much stuff on the other two channels right now, because most of that content actually was on Potation Rotation to begin with. So there's a little brief history of Potation Rotation on YouTube. So we got those three channels. Find it on the website. Click subscribe. Also, the most recent episode of every podcast is also on the homepage as well. At the top right, you're going to find all my socials. I'm going to stop using socials because I have a feeling that, like today, I'm pretty good after having like eight shots. So, <laughs> uh, I had to think about that coming up, that word solstice that I like to use. Uh, and I had to think about it again, just before I said it again, um, I'm going to slip up sometime. I know it. So I'm just going to say socials with the, with the LS, uh, they're all at the top Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can find me there. Follow me there. And you'll get notifications to when things are going to get uploaded on YouTube. You're going to get heads up when a new podcast episode is going to drop. And also, if you need to contact me by email, you can do so at potationrotation at gmail.com. Send me anything. I will read your email on a future episode. doesn't matter. doesn't have to pertain to anything. I'm not really looking. I've got so many episodes like planned out right now that I'm not like really asking for anything right now. Just random grab bag type shit. Whatever your thoughts on anything are, drop me an email or follow me on the socials. How about that? If I post something, you can react to it by an email. I can discuss it on the air. On the air. <laughs> on the podcast, if you will. 
that's going to do it. I thank everybody for listening to my little retro history of gaming. I appreciate you all, and I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Later. Later.